Hi, everybody. Our guest this week on In Her Words is Chloe DeMont. Her name probably sounds familiar as her film Fair Play was the buzz of Sundance this past January. We really had a great time getting to know Chloe and hearing her process in creating this amazing film. And you're going to see a lot more of her as the film heads to the Toronto Film Festival, has a theatrical release, and its release on Netflix this fall. We hope you enjoy. Well, we'd love to kind of kick off um, the way that we kind of operate, you know, in terms of our podcast is just we really love to hear your story. Um, so really just, you know, how you started, what interested you um, really to kind of what like what drew you to writing and, you know, how did you kind of get your start? I started writing at a very young age. I um, I it was my creative outlet. I discovered like very early on uh, I was terrible at drawing or painting so I knew that that was not you know <laughs> for me did you um, grow up in a creative household I did my parents were not artists but they they yeah they were they were very creative people I would say you know and and very eccentric people and um <laughs> Uh, I was definitely inspired by um, by all of the insanity <laughs> that was going on in the, in the household. So writing was was a good way to uh, to funnel that, you know, <laughs> and process that at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just I started writing at a pretty young age, and you know, started out as poetry, and then short stories, and then um, one act plays, and and uh, growing up in LA, um, obviously gravitated towards, you know, film and film and TV. And my father, he was a cinephile. So he, he showed me, um, films early on that, that just, um, changed my life. And, um, also very inappropriate films that I <laughs> should that no, like, probably 10 year old should ever watch, but he showed me those movies. Um, like what? <laughs> Uh, like Clockwork Orange, you know. And you're oh, just, yeah. okay. <laughs> for a ten-year-old, yeah. Yeah, for a ten-year-old. But uh, so you're like, what? <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was uh, th those movies uh, definitely, you know, shaped um, shaped everything for me. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I I knew I wanted to write and direct by like you know the time I was like fourteen, fifteen, and and um, um, so by the time I got to college, I applied to NYU. I went to Tisch uh, Film School, and that was incredible. It was a very hands-on program. Um, you know, other, other film schools, they do a lot of, um, like, film theory and, and studying film and film analysis, you know, you know, two or three years before you even actually touch a camera. You know, NYU, I thought was great about it. They throw you a camera within the first two weeks, and they're like, figure it out. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing teaches you about filmmaking, like carrying a light kit up six flights of stairs and then plugging in all the lights and realizing that none of them work. And then you have to drag the light kit all the way back down <laughs> and still shoot your movie the next day somehow without those lights, um, and shoot on film with, you know, with other kids who still haven't figured out how to shoot on film yet. And all your stuff is overexposed. And anyway, but that's how you learn how to make a movie. <laughs> is by just, you know, messing it up. Um, but uh, yeah, no, film school was incredible and being in New York was incredible. Um, and I was really able to hone my voice there. And um, and I would say like the films that I was watching around that time, I think um, just spoke to me in different ways. And, and um, 
that that just that just helped me hone hone my voice and um during that time but it, but yeah i would say like films like network um like i my father showed me network when i was when i was around 10 too but then rewatching that in film school and um i feel like there were three specific films that, that taught me different things and and um but in terms of like network that was like all about like tone and uh and writing i had just never seen a film like that i still I, they still don't make movies like that i mean just like that was i felt like an anomaly <laughs> um but uh yeah and then in terms of performance it was like woman under the influence i remember seeing that um for the first time um at bam um in new york on the original film print and that was just incredible and um and then uh, my professor freshman year at NYU, he he showed me uh, this film called I'm Cuba, which um, made me think about camera direction in a completely different way. Um, like that that film, it's like the the camera is almost like a character through the film, and and it just it just made me think about um, what is possible in cinema in terms of how you tell a story through the lens. Um, so I think like those were three, I remember three specific films that, that just, that just hit me at a certain time that, that, that set me on my path, I think towards what I, what I wanted to do, um, and developing my own stories, obviously in my own voice, but yeah. You can see the influence of those. Um, I don't know if they have a title, but those smart thrillers, those intelligent character thrillers that you mentioned in, in seeing that kind of translate into into what fair play is because the 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 writing and the characters are 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 just yeah you 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 they're it's it's written so intelligently that um i think going back and forth on who you empathize with and sympathize with and <laughs> it really it really comes through comes through in that uh, did you did you continue making films and directing and 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 staying behind the camera when you were deep into writing for for um the the series that you were writing for for ballers and for uh, billions and those did you continue making films yeah basically out of film school um i started directing like little commercials here and there to try and make money um i was barely scraping by <laughs> and um so i was trying to figure out as every filmmaker and artist is trying to figure out how do you support yourself while trying to pursue what you want to do. Right. And, um, commercials just weren't, they weren't, uh, doing it for me. <laughs> I think yeah. there was also a period where it was like a dry spell. I hit like a dry spell where it was like no work for like nine months. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to starve. Like this is not. So, um, I was, I was interested in, in getting into TV primarily first because of money. And, um, um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, but I didn't really know anyone. The only person I knew in TV was this director, Julian Farino, um, who directed a lot, um, of, um, uh, Entourage, um, and, uh, just a lot of different HBO shows. And he, um, he was going to shoot ballers. Like he was, he would just sign up to shoot the pilot for that. And, um, basically I reached out to him just on a whim. I'm like, can I, are you looking for an assistant? Can I, you know, do your, you know, can I yeah. do your dry cleaning? Can I carry your coffee? Like, can I do anything to try and, you know, uh, secure a job so that I don't starve for a moment? Um, anyway, and he, he was lovely. He, uh, he, he brought me in under his wing and, and I became his assistant. 
uh, for a year. And, um, but, uh, yeah, he was a big champion of mine and, um, I shared a lot of my work with him and he was the one who, who really, who, who gave me an opportunity, um, in television and introduced me to Steve Levinson, um, who, who also gave me my first opportunity in television. And, you know, from there it was, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I kind of basically just set on the path of like directing TV, you know, for, you know, yeah. to, to, um, ride that wave a bit. Um, while I figured out, you know, what, what the story, what I wanted my first, you know, feature to be, um, I was writing different things at the time, but none of the, none of them felt like it was quite hitting, um, exactly like what I wanted to hit or it didn't, it just, you know, I'd write things and I was like, okay, this isn't good enough, you know, like, uh, so I would set it aside or, but I would pursue that story all the way through to have to know if it was good enough or not. Um, but in the meantime, I was, I was directing, uh, different, different episodes of television, um, which I think was invaluable, um, because it, uh, it taught me how to be a professional. Um, I was able to hone different skills. Um, uh, I was able to work within different genres, um, trying different things. Um, so that I feel like by the time and all while doing that, I was, I was, um, you know, searching for the story that I wanted to tell. And, and this was something that it came to me a while ago, but I actually wasn't ready to tell it. And I tried to tell this story in a different way, you know, um, a while ago. And it just, it, I wasn't, um, you know, there's something about certain stories you need to experience more life or, you know, or more perspective before you can go back and tell certain stories. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is one that I kind of let sit and I continue to explore other stories while directing TV. And then, and then eventually more life experience hit me. And, and it was like, no, no, this, there was at that point, it was like, no, this is, this is like, I can't not tell this story. And at that point when I became so confident, then I switched, you know, all my focus from TV and into this film and, um, and this story. Um, because ultimately my goal has always been to tell my own stories, make my own films. In terms of ballers, in terms of billion, it's like that's high intensity writing. It's like, how did you kind of, you know, when you dive into that, you know, what was yeah. that like? It's like, what did you fear? What did you overcome in terms of, of making sure it was successful for you? Um, in terms of fair play? No, no, in terms of the television, in terms of writing. Oh, writing and uh, for, for those shows? Yeah, um, it's like that's, that's high intensity. So it was... <laughs> You know, yeah, no, totally. um, of what you of what you took away from it, you know, especially as you're starting to, as you were looking at your own projects. I yeah, I don't know. It, it was never anything that I questioned. It was never anything that I felt intimidated by. It was just always okay. like what. I always start from a place of what does the character want? You know, what's getting in the way of what they want, and uh, what's uh, what's what's emotionally driving them um, to that place, um, and um, just always working from. <laughs> trying to visually then craft the story. Um, you know, if I'm coming on as a director uh, for that, um, in terms of like writing in the writer's room uh, on on some of those shows, like it was, um, for me, I felt like I, I just always wanted to take it a little bit farther, you know, <laughs> than maybe yeah. some, some of the other writers wanted to go. Um, I like to push the envelope. Um, so I was, I was excited. I've always been excited by, by high stakes environment, um, because I feel like it's right, uh, for drama, it's right for conflict and, and you can just push things a little bit farther than, than, than other settings, you know? Um, so for me, it was just a playground. With those 
shows in in fair play and being in finance and being in you know sports uh, uh, negotiation and ownership and agents and is did you have did you did you like that world? I thought it doesn't sound like I mean you came from the creative and came that but the those are, are very similar worlds of, of high stakes, high finance, high. Mm-hmm. Um, negotiation was that was there a lot of research was there a lot of what what was your interest in and I mean it sounds like ballers was I had to feed myself so I got involved <laughs> with ballers but but there's really a similarity in in those projects and then what you know and then the topic of fair play as well with being in finance is was that an interest that you had to dig into yeah I would say I mean it it was um definitely yeah definitely research for sure um but for me, it was it was always about trying to um, tap into the emotional need of the character first, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like if you can relate to that, then the you know the logistics and you know and and the day to day stuff of how that world operates, that stuff is easy to learn. It's you know and and it's almost like that stuff is like studying for a math test. You know? <laughs> Uh, but I think the harder part was, was always the, you know, the character arc and, and Mm -hmm. making that as, as interesting and complicated, you know, and compelling as that, that can be. Um, but, um, yeah, for me, it's, uh, even though I've never, I've never worked in finance, I've never, you know, I've never worked in the sports world. like all that stuff for me. It was, uh, I relate to wanting something more than anything. Mm -hmm. I relate to wanting to achieve that at all costs. Um, uh, I, I relate to, uh, the highs and lows of what, what that does, you know, to you, um, and the highs and lows of these kinds of, uh, high stakes environments. I think it's very similar to the film and TV industry. Um, you know, on one day you can feel on top of the world. The next day you can feel like a worthless piece of shit, you know, and how it fluctuates, can fluctuate so quickly between the two. Um, and what that what that does you know what that does to you and the toll it takes on on your soul the toll it takes on your relationship um i think uh, i i just i relate to all those things so it was that was very it was it was very organic i felt like i could organically write from that even though i had no experience in those specific worlds but, no, that's interesting because they're so yeah they're so specific and they're so deep deeply mm-hmm. part of the story um, how long did you work on Fair Play before it before it came to fruition? Did how long were you involved in it? Or it was your baby, oh. so how, you had it the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, like I said, I, I I had I had some ideas, you know, for the relationship aspect of of mm-hmm. it um, years ago, and then and then um, you know set it aside for a little bit and and experience life and experience more relationships and, and, uh, you know, more up, you know, ups and downs with like career opportunities. And, and then, and then, uh, and then I really sat down to, uh, at some point it did hit me and I, I sat down and I just, I wrote it and I think it was like a couple of years, probably, I don't know. Um, I would say it's been the last like three, three years. That's, oh. that's been primarily the, I would say the the main chunk of the of the timeline for it, um, but uh, yeah. What challenges did you um, did you have any challenges making the film in terms of like once you got the once you got the script done? 
I mean, there's nothing, filmmaking is nothing but challenges. <laughs> no, it <laughs> is. But like, were there any big ones? It's like, just because like our audience are obviously all creatives mm -hmm. that are trying to get their projects. It's like, were there lessons that you learned through the process that you thought, wow, this, I thought this was going to be easy, but it turned out to be really hard and vice versa. Yeah, I would say um, prep, prep is incredibly challenging because there are so many things that are outside your control. And, you know, in terms of like, not, you know, you don't know with talent and agents and, you know, <laughs> they're until they get on set, you don't know if they're actually going to be on set. You know, So there, <laughs> there are lots of, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of anxiety around, you know, just securing talent, but also there was, we were experiencing Omicron was rising, you know, at a time and we're shooting in a different country and, and, uh, Com, you know, completely new crews. And so, I mean, it was just, it was a lot of um, moving parts that, yeah. that in many ways are outside your control. And that's very hard for me as a, as a director who wants to control everything. Right? <laughs> um, prep was, I think the hardest part. I knew that as soon as we started shooting, I would feel really confident. And because it was like, then it was my set. And like, then I, I, I knew the story um, I had prepared like the whole film, like with, you know, I knew every shot, I knew every cut, like, I just, I knew this movie like through and through and, um, and I just, uh, I had honed it for so long, you know, I'd honed it for just the visual look. I'd honed it for like a year, um, leading up to, to shooting it. And, um, and I knew exactly what I wanted out of it. So I knew that as soon as we started shooting, like everything would be fine, but we just had to get to shooting. And then finally, when we did get to shooting, like directing, like being on set and directing and working with the cast and, and the crew was nothing but joy. It was really it's like fantastic. Yeah. There, even the challenges on set, you're, you're in it. And so, and you're in it together at that point. So you're getting hit with certain things, but, but it, it, you're there and you're doing it, you know, and, and, um, and so you keep going and, and uh, so, yeah, it was just, it was really the greatest, the greatest joy of my life was, was those 30 days of shooting um, that movie. Um, and then you get into post and then, you know, cause directing, it's like, it's all play. You, it's all play. You know, you just, you just get to explore and play and shoot and, and shoot what you wanted and surprising things come up, but then you get into post and then you see a first cut and, you know, um, you're like, okay, certain things were not what I expected or, you know, you have to kind of get on the same page with the editor first, you know, and start to speak the same language. And that, that's a process. But for me, it was really, I think the hardest, hardest part besides prep was like the last month of locking the cut because you at that point lose perspective and, um, and you don't feel certain things anymore. So at certain things, I was trying to push certain things and push certain moments that didn't need to be pushed because I wasn't feeling it because I was numb to certain, certain, you know, emotional moments in the film. Um, and that's a, that was, um, that was a big lesson that I learned, you know, is, is that I had to trust certain decisions that I had made, you know, prior to that and just stick to that. Um, yeah. and instead of, you know, in the last month I was questioning a lot of, a lot of choices, um, because I wasn't, I wasn't personally feeling it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I undid some things, I questioned things. Ultimately I did go back to, you know, uh, what, what my first instinct was on it, you know, and, and, yeah. and that was, 
was also, but we did a lot of test screenings for this film too. Like, because no one person is going to come out of this film feeling the, the same way they're going to feel, you know, they're going to have their own opinion and their own feeling based on who they are and their experience. Um, this, this film would undoubtedly, you know, fuel conversation and debate. Um, but, uh, it was really interesting to see like certain moments where I empathize with Luke, other people didn't. And it was, you know, it was interesting to know why. And so uh, a lot of it was, was, uh, was uh, a lot of the process in my, in my director's cut was, was like just testing certain, uh, uh, certain cuts for certain, for audiences and just seeing how they felt about each character in certain moments. But it's really fascinating with this film, you dial like, some scene a little bit to the left towards him and it completely changes how you feel about her you dial it a little bit to the right towards her it completely changes how you feel about him for the next 20 minutes i mean this was this was a fascinating um uh just like just i mean this was just a fascinating process i'd never i had never experienced this on any other thing that i had directed before where you just dial a little bit left or right and it just it, it just completely changed who you empathize with um and so that that was that was also a big part of the process though that, that was that was uh, challenging to navigate too because it's like how much you listen then to other people and how much you trust yourself and so it was always weighing that and that's hard especially when you're when you're six months in and when you're staring at this thing every day and, 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 um, and, uh, and yeah, the perspective thing, the perspective thing is hard to hold on to. Well, it, were there ways head, it was a way yeah. that nobody else could ever know. Cause you've known it for three years before anyone else, you know, really got to, got to see it. Yeah. yeah. Were there ways that you grounded yourself in the process? Are you like a med do you meditate? Do you like, are there, are there ways that you grounded yourself to say, you know what, I need to break from this and to walk away. Um, <laughs> I ran every night as fast as I could. <laughs> Dark. There you go. <laughs> no, I think the, I think the other thing is, uh, the good thing is that you're, you're working on a scene, right? So you're working on a scene for like, say three days straight and you're just trying to hone that scene or play with it. So then when you then come back to another scene, you have fresher eyes. So that's kind of also how I would navigate it. If I felt like I was losing perspective on a certain part of the film. I would focus on the beginning or whatever it was and then come back to it um, a little bit later. I want to, before we talk about the whirlwind of Sundance and everything that's happened mm -hmm. with the film, that's so amazing. What, um, what does your, what does your team look like? I mean, the actors are so amazing and this film and I mean, the, the casting is just, I of course can't imagine it with anyone else. What, um, did you work with that with any of the actors or actresses before? And then like what with the behind the scenes team, do you, do you have close people as the, as you're kind of growing through the industry and your career that your, your team you put together? Um, yeah, so I'd never, I never worked with those actors before. Um, I, I saw Phoebe from Bridgerton yeah. and I think what was important for me about like the character of Emily, um, she is a rising star in her world and i thought it was important to cast a rising star um and i think that that, that was definitely phoebe coming off of bridgerton um but you know that was a very small <laughs> small you know part of it for me the bigger part was just watching her in the pilot um 
I could tell she was an incredibly strong, versatile actor. She was incredibly dialed in. She was really present. Um, there was like a vulnerability um, there, but also a fierceness. Um, and I just knew that, you know, there was an untapped fury that, that she could just unleash um, in this film. And that really excited me. Um, it excites me to cast people who had never done anything like this before. Um, I always like to cast a little bit against type. Um, and, um, yeah, in terms of Alden, I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's an incredibly versatile actor. Um, and he, I think, yeah, I mean, he, he can do, he can really do anything. I mean, so can Phoebe. Um, but, uh, just talking to Alden, it was like, he, I knew that it was going to take an incredibly confident, um, confident, uh, man to, to go to that level of insecurity. And um, a lot of, you know, when I was meeting with different actors, um, it was just, a, there was a, a lot of young men were afraid to play this role. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Alden, it was like, there was no, there was no question. Like this was, it was for him, it was, you know, rich material that he was excited to dive into. And, um, and he did, he dove head first. And um, he, you know, it's, it's like, he's, throughout so many scenes that were even I didn't have so much empathy for Luke, like he made me feel for him. And, and um, yeah, just the incredible like complexity um, and humanity that he brought to that role. Um, I, I just think, I just think took that character to a whole other level. Um, but yeah, they, both actors, I mean, they, they surprised me so many times, they surprised each other and it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was nothing but joy working with them. And in terms of Eddie Marsan, I mean, he, he's been one of my favorite character actors forever. I've always wanted to work with yeah. him. Um, and what excited me for, for, you know, with him with this role is that he, he never played like this type of like boss character before, especially in this world. And, and uh, you know, usually we see him as like the unhinged man, you know, losing <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and that's what excited him. That's what drew him to, to this role too, is, is he's never, he's never played a role like this before. Um, but there's just something about Eddie. He's just, he's just effortless. And there's, he, there's something in his eyes. There's just this, he brings this, there's like this electricity that you can't quite put your finger on. And with that, there is a certain element of danger that comes with it because you never know what he's going to say or do. And, and that to me is like, it is so magnetic to watch. There were so many times where his facial expression and him listening to whoever he was talking to, and then what came out of his mouth was not what I thought it was going no, to be. Totally. Yeah. yeah, of him being, you know, so looking so like understanding <laughs> and listening, and then it was, yeah, he was his. He bites your head off. <laughs> right, right, but in such a calm, eerie way. Totally. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's like, it's effortless. It's just effortless. Um, but yeah, there was, there were so many times and in the writing and in, you know, and, and you describing what you got out of the actors that I so felt for Emily, like to not, like, I didn't know if to tr the trust, cause you set up the, you know, in the movie, you set it up that, you know, they trust each other. They love each other so much and they're in this together. And then just those little things in the one scene where he tells her that she dresses like a cupcake that I felt found myself like, 
wait, is he trying to screw her? Is he, or like make her, make her miss? Is he, or is he trying to help her? And, and then I was like, I, I, it, he, it was so just their, his delivery. It, yeah. It's, it's there. And there's so many of those scenes mm-hmm. through it where you don't, yeah, that you don't know whether to trust what he's doing and saying to her and vice versa mm-hmm. of, of, you know, how they're, are they trying to help each other? Are they trying to screw each other out? Uh, it was, it was, yeah, that was, I think that was, that that's, that's, you know, and that's definitely what I was going for. I think it's that, no, in those kinds of relationships, you know, it's like that it's, there's, when you get to that level of toxicity in a certain, or that level of tension, there is such a fine line between love and hate and wanting to, there's yeah. such a fine line between wanting to care for someone and hurt them at the same time. Right. And right. it does start out with, oh, I'm just trying to help you, you know, because this is, you know, certain appearance, you know, affects how people, you know, think about you. But ultimately where that is coming from is his place of insecurity from himself and where he's at. And and that's the first place that in the movie that he uses um, that is that is insecurity becomes a weapon. You know, he right. weaponizes right. his, his insecurity against her. Right. What starts out as you know little, um, you know passive aggressive comments, you know it turns into more verbal assaults and 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 emotional attacks and then and then so on. But but yeah, walk us through what. Um, so you have the movie, you finish the film, you're and you are decide you're going to take it to to, to Sundance last year you and you did that on your own right you didn't have a student you didn't have distribution yet no we had uh, but we had mrc um okay. who the movie and t street who produced right. the film, you know star thrower who also produced the film so you know we, we we had some we had some good people behind us going 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 into the festival but no it was in I was incredibly thrilled when we found out we were we were we were accepted and we were in competition. I mean, it's always been right the dream to to premiere you know the film in competition at Sundance has always and been then the response and the bidding starts and yeah, yeah it was it was uh, it was wild it was it was wild but it was it was a really magical weekend and and uh, I mean first and foremost I was just so thrilled to share it with finally put it out there mm-hmm. and share it with people and and uh yeah the first screening was just it was the first screen was just bonkers it was just it was just i mean the the amount of laughs we got out of discomfort in the room i thought was 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 really was awesome right. um, because we we like i said we test screened the film before and you could feel like uh, people watch this film like they react like it's a horror film that's that's kind of the reactions that you get, and you get audible gasps, you get you know cringes, and and um, and people squirming in their seats and stuff, and and you do get uncomfortable laughs too. But like yeah, the there it was. Uh, I would say the amount of people actually laughing through it was it was uh, was uh, was uh, quite uh, joyful. <laughs> yeah. So were you? Um... Other than I, this, I, I don't know how I've never been a filmmaker, but when you're, when you're in competition and, you know, you see the response, do you, you know, what part do you play in deciding, you know, who, who ultimately ends up with the film? I mean, were you thrilled that, I mean, obviously that it was the highest, the highest 
sold film and obviously at the festival so mm-hmm. amazing but were you you know with it being netflix was it with streaming with theatrical with you know how how are you part of what's that negotiation like um you know it was it was a it was a team decision you know between me and the producers and and mrc and um but you know uh, obviously yeah there was the the financial consideration for sure but um but a lot of it was uh, who are going to be the best partners who's going to get behind the film who you know who understands the film and um is going to push for it and and um and market the film and and um you know as best they can and um i think ultimately you know that's why we went with netflix and 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 really like the global reach they have like i want as many people to see this film as possible and and the global reach that Netflix has, you know, and and um, the global campaign that they want to do with this mm-hmm. movie, um, I think was 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 ultimately where where we landed with it. Um, and also they they were they they're going to give us theatrical, so I didn't feel like that was that was a compromise. That's great. So what it t- tell us the tell us the whole plan for the film because it's going to TIFF, right? It's going to mm-hmm. Toronto for a competition. Yeah. Um, and then I assume I, my whole, I used to be the head film buyer for Arclight and, and, oh, yeah. and AMC, yeah. So I, I know the whole world of, of award season and the kind of the flow. So it's going to the, it's going to the festivals. And then I'm assuming they're putting it out there for award season theatrical. I know Spencer very well that handles all the theatrical for Netflix. Tell him hello for me. Um, but is that, is that the whole plan that they're that with, with the, for this fall? Uh, yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see how, you know, again, putting it out there, um, the reactions, you know, and, and seeing the conversations that, mm-hmm. that start up again, but, but yeah, the, we're, we're gonna, um, our international premiere will be at TIFF, um, then we'll take it, we'll take it to, um, we'll do some screenings, um, New York, LA, London, um, we're gonna go to Zurich Film Festival, um, and then we're gonna go to some other regional film festivals throughout, but yeah, then the film comes out. Uh, in theaters uh, September 29th and oh, good. okay so it just does have a date yeah and then it's um and then it'll come out on Netflix on the platform October 13th so Chloe with all of this going on are you have you started working on another project yet or no <laughs> um I <laughs> or are you taking a break <laughs> no no I, I don't I don't I don't take breaks I <laughs> to my own detriment I do not take breaks but um I'm learning, I'm learning to, 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 you know, try to do that a little bit more, but, um, but, uh, no, I, I, I know the next, I know the next, uh, four movies that I want to make. Um, I feel like fair play is, um, amazing. Yeah. It was just the, this, the first piece of a bigger picture of, of, uh, you know, what I want to do and the, and the kinds of films I want to make. But uh, yeah, I, 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 the, the next film I want to make, I've, I've had an idea for that film for, for a while. And um, I had been, I had been honing the script um, kind of around the same time that I was writing Fair Play as well and um, decided to make Fair Play first because this, this, this next film really feels like um, a good sophomore feature. Um, but yeah, it's exciting and it's, yeah, it's equally batshit and, and crazy <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh spicy and i don't know i'm gonna push it and uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go there with it so you know can you give Um, us a a, can you give us some insight into what themes you explore in the next one uh i can't but uh (laughs) i will say i will say with all my films 
I, I want to take audiences on a ride. Um, I want to explore provocative shades of gray. Um, I want to shock people, move people, mortify people. Um, <laughs> because like, that's what entertainment means to me. And I really believe that the power of entertainment is to get an audience to lean into tough subject matters that they would normally be too scared to touch. Um, and, uh, for me, like the tougher the subject matter, the more entertaining a film needs to be. Um, and I just think there's a big kind of gap, you know, and divide in, in, in our industry where you have a lot of, you know, films that are just focused on entertaining and don't have much substance and meaning. And then you have, uh, really, you have films that are very heavy subject matters that are very heavy watch. And I think that there are very, you know, few films and few exceptions and a few filmmakers, you know, that, that, that kind of bridge that gap. And, and, um, so that's, that's always been my goal is, is, is to, is to explore tough things, but, but, um, but, um, yeah, make it as entertaining as possible too. So when you are, uh, when you're writing or when you're in it, what do you, what do you like to watch? What are, what's entertaining you as you're, besides going for a run when you're you know trying to take a break do you have anything that you're reading or watching or you've seen that you've loved lately or that has influenced you not influence because you told us your influence but some things that are just kind of now taking you away taking you uh giving you entertainment yeah yeah I, I think you know I mean I, I I go between watching new films and then going back to films that I just love that I just I think are hard to beat you know I think um I think one of the most exciting filmmakers for me is Ruben Osland. I just think he's, um, he's, uh, his films, what he tackles, his, his approach. I always go back to his movies. Um, I just, I love them. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, but then also just go and watch the Godfather for the hundredth time because <laughs> you know it's just, it's like the best, it's, the best comfort for me and it's old Hollywood and it's, you know, it's a bit, yeah, there's just, you know, it's the Godfather. So I can, I can watch that movie probably every night of the week. And then there's, there's obviously, yeah, there's like some reading. There's this uh, book I read recently that I think is incredible. Bluettes um, by Maggie Bluets. Nelson. Yeah. Bluettes by Maggie Nelson. Um, I thought that that was a, that was an incredible um, read. She's an in incredible writer. Um, I like, I like reading prose, um, um, and essays. Um, I found that I've gravitate more towards that lately. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, that's, uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll watch, I'll watch some stuff that's just mindless too, to, to, to turn off because that's important as well. <laughs> do you still go to the theaters to go to, the, to, to see movies? Where do you oh, go yeah. these yeah. days? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I still am waiting for ArcLight to come back. There's just, there, LA has not been the same and theater going has not been the same since, since ArcLight closed. And that's. Chris is still trying to get reopen the Hollywood location. He kept that one sold mm -hmm. off everything else in the bankruptcy, but yeah, he kept the Hollywood location and they, uh, they keep saying they're going to, uh, to remodel a little bit and reopen. So we'll see. I mean, the, just the way those guys operate, that's always, they've always treated film like art and the way mm -hmm. they introduce it and mm -hmm. the respect. And it's not, you know, it, it's just, it's a totally different, you know, experience when you go there and, and there's just nothing like it. As the New Yorker of the bunch, we never had one. Oh, really? <laughs> no, 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 we always had New York, New York. 
New York theaters are horrible. It's like I, so Gretchen and I knew each other through Arclight. So whenever I go to LA, I see a lot of film. So just because Arclight was just such an incredible experience versus like New York where you're like, am I going to get bed bugs? (laughs) Like while I sit here. (laughs) Also, no, no, totally. Like, like, yeah. And I love this year, but you can hear the subway going by. Like you're just like, and yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah. You're slightly uh, different. As a fellow NYU kid, I didn't really have, uh, there's not a lot of theater pickings in New York that are, uh, that are awesome. Yeah. But Lincoln Center, you have, yeah, New York has Lincoln Center, which is, which is incredible, I think. And, um, uh, yeah, some of the Paris well, look, Yeah, Look Cinema yeah. just reopened the Lincoln Center Theater on 57th. So it's just remodeled and reopened. So. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it just opened about three weeks ago. So I saw, I went in one. It looked, it's nice. They do a really nice job. But it, now it's, you know, it's still not, it's everybody, you know, even theaters that tried to do, and, and Chloe, you hit it on the head. I mean, Chris Foreman, who, you know, owned the circuit and owned Arclade is um, in Pacific Theaters. He that was absolutely why we started Arclight because specific theaters were, you know, the Grove and Glendale were, you know, in much more mainstream megaplex circuit. And, and with Arclight, it was, you know, his respect for writing and his respect for filmmaking that said, it has to be better than this. It has to be better than neon on the walls and commercials. And we used to say the only place you didn't get commercials were church and Arclight. And we, you know, and, and we held to that. I mean, we held, we held to it. We didn't, we never showed advertising. We only showed three trailers. And mm-hmm. the other night I was seeing Oppenheimer at an AMC and I swear to God, the people behind me chewed for three hours and eight seconds without stopping and crinkled their bags and crinkled their bags. And even the things that, you know, Renee did our, did our PR at, at Arclight and you know, that that's how we started working together. But we, you know, we even, we didn't have popcorn bags. We had buckets. So they were quiet. We used to sit in the office and be when I tell them the story, we would test the candy to see how loud the crinkling was. That's amazing. Well, there was a a whole article in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was this week, about how moviegoers with the Barbie movie, like the issues that people are having because people are taking out their phones, they're doing, like, it's it's wild how people are behaving in movie theaters now. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. So it is no, and and there's you know there's theaters that you know there's a lot of a lot of trying a lot of copycat but you know really when you got down to it with ArcLight the essence of it and the the way people behaved and the the atmosphere of the theater it was the moviegoers I mean mm-hmm. people would say all the time oh you know you you got you have to police it because you don't let people come in late or you have to police it because you don't let people talk to police anything yeah. it, the 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 community expected that from each other. And when you set the tone from the top down, you know, like that's what, that's what Arclight did. And that's what you guys did. You set the tone. And then once you set that people, they will, they will gravitate towards it and they, they will, they will follow that and they will will respect it, you know, but yeah, you set the tone other theaters where you can order a burger and you have someone eating a hamburger next to you and someone eating pad thai next to you. And then waiters across the screen, you're just like, what? What are we doing here? Yeah, what are we exactly. doing? <laughs> I don't want to hear your fork and knife clinkety clinkety. No, not <laughs> at all. Have you seen in Paris? Like that's a whole other game. Like yeah. you watch, you go to, a, you go to a film in Paris. There is no talking. Right. They there is no talking. There is no eating. There is no drinking. It is literally art. They are watching yeah. art. 
and they respect it like art. And then, you know, the film ends and then they go outside and they smoke a cigarette and then they talk about it. The and then they talk about it. Yeah. We yeah. used to get asked all constantly, why did we didn't have dining in? Why we didn't have reclining seats? You know, just <laughs> all of that. And Arclight never, ever did that. And honestly, I think if Chris reopens the Hollywood location, I don't think, I, I don't think he would still do that. That uninterrupted experience was, I mean, he really, really, really would have, if he could have made money, mm -hmm. wouldn't have had concessions at all. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, you know, and, and it was, I mean, and you saw how few choices there were and how deliberate those, those choices were, but yeah, it is. No, it's a, it's a, it's very, and especially now that you don't, we don't have it and it's gone. It's so appreciated, you know, what it, mm -hmm. what it was and, yeah. and the types of film and, you know, just everything about it. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Chloe. It was so nice. Yeah, thank meeting you so you. much. It was and lovely to meet you. Yeah. Thank we're you. so excited for the film and so excited for the festivals and keeping an eye on it. And um, yeah, we would love, we're doing, you know, some events in, in New York um, in the fall for with women in entertainment. So we'd love to be in touch right. with your yeah. folks to see your availability and help in mm -hmm. any way we can of awesome. getting, uh, getting the film out there. And we've, we've actually been in touch with, um, with the theatrical team at Netflix for, um, some projects and, and doing some things at their theaters that they bought in New York and in LA with our audience. So I think cool. getting this film in front of the women in entertainment audience would be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I would love that. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chloe. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womeninentertainment.com.